0: Okay, um, Chris, the last couple times we met, we were looking at the cross. The cross from the standpoint of how the Lord uses it to free us from the old. uh, To free us to live as new creations in Christ. And, you know, we've talked about the fact that so often when Christians think of the cross... They think of it almost um, exclusively from the standpoint of Christ substituting for us. That Christ bore our guilt, he paid our penalty. And that is a, an incredibly important uh, aspect of the cross. But, you know, especially in the writings of Paul, we come to see that there's more to the cross than that. Yes, Christ died there for us, but Paul also says that we died there with him, and that our old man is crucified. It is held in that place of judgment, that place of condemnation. Now, you know, uh, last week after class, somebody came up and said, okay, I, I see where the old man is crucified, and I see... Where, you know, I'm told that we died. What died? If the old man is still uh, kicking and screaming from the cross, what died? And it's basically, I'd say, who, our identity as a person. We were children of Adam. Now we are children of God. Our relationship To Adam, our relationship to to sin, all that changed. It is not uh, what we once were. Now, you know, I I guess an illustration I came up with concerning the old man and the new. You know, you, you take a computer. Computer has an operating system. And if some of you remember years ago, there was Vista, which was not a good operating system. There's been some bad operating systems over the, the years. And at times we replace our operating system with a new operating system. Um, and some people, I have a friend in Ireland, he has dual operating systems on his. He has Linux, and, and for a while he had Linux and he had Windows. And he could swap back and forth between the operating systems. Well, in a sense, our old man was the operating system that we were born with. It is what, you know, guided our actions. Our new man is a brand new operating system. But like my friend in Ireland with his two operating systems, we have two. The old man has been crucified. And like I said, I know there are many who see the old man as having died. Never says that in scripture. When it talks about the old man, it talks about him being crucified. It talks about the world being crucified. You say, well, isn't that synonymous with death? Read the the, uh, crucifixion account. The thieves were crucified, but they're still talking. You know, Christ was crucified. It led to his death. And the crucifixion of the thieves led to their death. But crucifixion was a place of judgment, a place of condemnation that led to death. But, you know, it took time. And the old man is always seen as being crucified. It's held in a place of judgment. And therefore... We have no reason to let that operating system operate our, in, in our lives. We have every reason in the world to learn of this new operating system. The one that's in union with Christ and letting that operating system show itself in us. Now, there's a chapter in the big book later on, that's just a one-page chapter, that I think helps... Some in this understanding. I just want to read that before we get into today's uh, chapter. He says, the following quotation from a message by Norman F. Dowdy seems to sum up what we've been seeking to share. When we say that Christ's life has come into us to displace ours, what do we mean? We do not mean that this life of the Lord Jesus has come to displace our personality. When I speak of our fallen life, I do not mean the human personality as such. I mean the poison which permeates our personality. The poison of sin which has degraded and defiled and distorted our humanity. It is not that this new life of the Lord Jesus comes in to take the place of our personality, to take the place of our faculties created by God, but it comes to take the place of the sinful life which is operating in our personality and employing our faculties. The vessel is the same, but the contents are different. The same vessel, the same person, the same faculties, but the contents different. No longer this sinful element by the very holy nature of the Lord Jesus filling, interpenetrating, permeating. Our Father is not seeking to abolish us as human beings and have the Lord Jesus replace us. He's seeking to restore us as human personalities so that we may be the vehicle through which Christ will express himself. Therefore, you find that whenever God gets hold of a man, instead of abolishing his personality, he makes it what he intended it to be. Redemption is the recovery of the man, not the destruction of the man. And when the Lord Jesus in us is brought to the place he is aiming for, there will not be an atom of the old life left, but the man will be left glorified in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a pretty good explanation. You know, God is not trying to make you know me and Jerry and Mike and and Abigail and and Marilyn and all, all of us look the same you know we're all look like like this you know Christ is replacing us no he's trying to you know take our who we are who we were created to be and he's seeking to replace this operating system with The operating system that we have flowing from the very life of Christ. Because a lot of people seem to fear that, you know, if I really embrace this, then I'll cease being the person I am. No, you will become the person you really have the potential to be. Your personality will be used by God in the way it was intended to be used. So, I hope that clears things up just a little bit. Again, if not, I'm always uh, glad to sit and talk with some of you. Uh, At times, my answer will be, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I don't have all the answers, but uh, thankfully, the Lord has taught me a few things over the years. If I don't know, I'll send you to Jerry. (laughs) Okay, we're on the uh, uh, chapter on discipleship uh, today. More than likely won't get through it. We don't seem to be very successful at covering a chapter a week, uh, but we'll get into this subject. And I I will say here at the start that discipleship is pretty much a buzzword in Christian circles. And yet, I find that at times it's very badly misunderstood. I know, you know, the type of ministry Jonelle and I would have had in, when we were in Ireland, we would have considered it a discipleship type ministry. We absolutely would never have used that terminology. Because to mention the term discipleship, you know, put an expression of panic on people's faces. Because what they had experienced in the name of discipleship had turned out to be a very negative thing. And in most cases, what they had, you know, experienced regarding so-called discipleship was based very much on doing. It was, you know, you, you, know, you come and we'll, you know, we'll disciple you. And discipleship is, you need to spend X amount of time every day reading your Bible. You need to spend this much time in prayer. You need to be going out door to door or witnessing a certain amount uh, all through the week. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. And they tried it. And they failed. Oh, in the sense that, yeah, they would put in the time in Bible study that they were supposed to put in and, and, you know, it was a drudgery. They would put in the time they were supposed to spend in prayer. But, you know it was just a a ritual yeah they went out and they witnessed and in the you know and by so doing they they alienated themselves from their families and friends who hated to see them coming uh you know this was their their view of discipleship Discipleship is not based primarily on doing. Doing will result. Discipleship is based on being. On who we are becoming. Now, you know, in the uh, years I was up at uh, Waukesha, I probably had the privilege of teaching through the life of Christ probably about 20 times. I'm pretty familiar with the life of Christ. I'm pretty familiar with his disciples. And one thing, you know, if you study the life of Christ and you look at his disciples, one thing that I hope becomes very apparent is they were not disciples because they always did or or said the right thing. In fact, (laughs) probably 95 times out of 100, they said the wrong thing. And did the wrong thing. They were not disciples. Because they did and said the right thing. They were disciples because they were following Christ. A disciple is a learner. But he's a learner that is. You know following his master. And seeking to be shaped by his master. And. You know, the, the, what really changed the disciples was when after the cross, they followed Christ beyond the cross into this new realm of life. And it was when, he followed, when they followed him over here that they became these very changed people. It was beyond the cross, and we'll talk about that as we get into this today, because Christ says, what, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. The old Adamic life is incapable of being a disciple of Christ. All that can be a disciple of Christ is this new life we have in him as new creations. As we come to, to live on this side of the cross with him, there we can truly be disciples. And he will change everything. Now, Stanford op- opens this chapter with this statement. <laughs> the way he defines discipleship, particularly for For us, a disciple, he says, is one who first maintains the fellowship of the cross, which results in fellowship with with his Lord. Discipleship. Okay, so, he says, you know, discipleship starts with fellowshipping with the cross. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. The thing of embracing the cross, you know, as as that which deals with the old and that which sets us free to the new. And until we come to see the cross for what it is, we really aren't going to be able to have the kind of fellowship with the Lord that it takes to be his disciple. My old Adamic nature is not going to live in fellowship with Christ. It's my new life that's in union with him, that fellowships with him, that is shaped by him. And that's why he goes on, he says, the atonement of the cross and the fellowship of the cross must be equally preached as a condition of true discipleship. Now, he doesn't say that the uh, atonement of the cross and the fellowship of the cross must equally be preached as a condition of salvation he's talking about discipleship and some want to say well if you're a believer you're a disciple of Christ no that's not necessarily true you can be a child of God without being a disciple of Christ The atonement of the cross is necessary for us to be brought into that parent-child relationship with God. But the fellowship of the cross paves the way for us to really be his disciple. To follow him in our day-to-day lives and and be transformed by him in our day-to-day lives. He says Christ is the answer. Hmm. But the cross is needed to clear the way for him. Now he's going to talk later in the chapter about why we struggle with this. Why we we, uh, struggle uh, with the whole issue of the cross. Because it is morally repulsive to us. We want to think that the person who came to Christ in salvation, now that his sins are forgiven, we want to think that that person can, can serve Christ and, and, and be a follower of Christ. We, think, we want to think that our fleshly nature is capable of discipleship. We really don't want to believe God when he says that in our flesh dwells no good thing. And the message of the cross is that that statement is true. That there's nothing that in us capable of following Christ. The only thing that's capable of following him is what God gives us. On this side of the cross. Now he says, in spiritual progress, our Lord never pushes. He is our file leader. He's out front. And he leads us step by step. We struggle and fail. Self-effort. Which sets up a yearning for the answer to this depressing failure. In time, we see the scriptural facts of deliverance in the cross. Identification. And that in in turn produces the required hunger to enter into freedom. Freedom for fellowship with his answer. Our risen Lord Jesus. He's saying, you know, God doesn't force us forward. But he leads us a little at a time. And he does that. And we saw this in an earlier chapter. Often through our struggles and failures. We try to follow Christ in our own strength. And I mean, that's, that's what, our Irish, what our Irish friends brought to, uh, uh, what brought our Irish friends to the place of really grabbing hold of these truths. It was their attempts at doing all the right things and failing that brought them to that place of saying, I want real answers. And the answer we gave them was Christ. It wasn't try harder. It wasn't, no, you probably weren't reading your Bible quite enough. You need to read it a little bit more. You need to pray harder. No, it was a lot like we saw in an early chapter where, uh, I guess that was Norman Dowdy too, that made the statement, you know, Uh, you're struggling and you're failing and the Holy Spirit says you're a failure come out of it, quit trying quit trying to be like Christ instead of trying to be like Him look at Him get to know Him make Him your focus see while we're focused on trying to make this do the things of a disciple. Our eyes aren't on the right, in the right place. I can't be focused on me and be focused on him. But if I'm focused on him, he will change me. I assure you that. I have yet... To know somebody who really focused on getting to know Christ as their life that wasn't changed by him. But he goes on, he says, Nothing can set us apart for God, nothing can make us holy, except the cross is working in us. Because the cross alone can keep the hindrances of holiness in the place of death. The thing that's going to hinder living a a holy life, which is a life set apart to God, the thing that's going to hinder that is those things of the old. He says it's only as the cross holds those those in the place where they need to be held that I'm free to actually follow Christ and be shaped by Christ and transformed into his image. He says back of all successful work for the lost is an inward spiritual impulse. And back of that impulse is the Holy Spirit, who reprodu- reproduces Christ in us. And the brand mark of it all is the cross, the living experience of which, um, of which must both—that's an awkward sentence—the living experience of which must both enter and control the life before we are fit to serve. So he's saying, you know, the cross must, you know, as a living experience, become part of our life and and a controlling factor in our life, dealing with the old. That's what frees us to live in the new. And so he says, nowhere was our Lord Jesus more explicit and firm than when he mentioned discipleship. And what did he say concerning it? And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. He went on to say, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now again, he does not say they cannot be saved. We've got to realize in our thinking there's a difference between simply being a a child, maybe an infant in in Christ, and actually being a living, breathing disciple of Christ, one who is following him in fellowship day by day and being shaped by him. Discipleship requires the cross. Without it, we can't be his disciple. He says his reason... Uh, his reason for this is simple. The self, the old man, cannot and will not follow him. But taking one's cross results in death to self and newness of life in Christ Jesus. And so he further defines disciple in this way. A disciple is one who is free from the old, and free for the new. So there's a turning from the old. There is a movement towards the new. And I, I think that's important to, to keep in mind. We've talked about this um, um, earlier. Uh, that all too often Christians tend to only... Get half the equation. They see I need to turn from the old. <laughs> it's like with being dead under uh, sin and alive under God. People, uh, Christians, go through life. I'm I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. No, you died to sin, and you're alive unto God. You are not to function as somebody who's dead you're to function as somebody who died to one realm as alive to another and it's not just that we go through life i'm free from the old i'm free from the old i'm free from the old no i'm free from the old so that i can be alive to the new so many are going through life focused on somehow trying to just deal with the old instead of seeing the old has been dealt with and embracing the new. How many of you are still trying to conquer the sin in your life? Christ dealt with it. The more you focus on the sin in your life, the more it will control you. Yeah. Well, you di- Well, there there is a response. I mean, there's a faith response. Again, the, we don't have actions, but we do have faith. We deny ourselves what by co- considering it true that it's not about me. I, I'm I'm going to believe God and the Christian life is not about me it's not about me fixing myself it's not about me becoming this you know the Christian life is believing that Christ dealt with that at the cross and that now I am a new creation and I have the potential to walk in unbroken fellowship with Christ day after day after day following him and being shaped by him It's not that there's no responsibility for the believer. But our responsibility is in the realm of faith. We take God at his word. When he says, consider yourself dead unto sin and alive unto God. What is our responsibility? To believe him. That my relationship to the old has been severed. That I have a whole new relationship over here. To go along with that, Angela, like, that Greek word, it means to like renounce. So it's like, think of like giving up a claim on something, on like a hold on something. Yeah. You know, Say to turn away from one thing to a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically saying goodbye to it <laughs> <laughs> and, and hello to a whole new life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's a thing of, of ceasing by self-effort to do these things and to begin to just really put our focus where it needs to be, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just as our our ticket into heaven, but as a source of a whole new life. And I would say like one of the reasons this is hard is because of the world's philosophy about... Um, you know, look, self-reflect, look inward. In, yeah, yeah. Better, yeah,
1: better.
0: yeah. And that, yeah. And that contrasts a lot with this. Yeah, yeah. Good observation because, again, this runs counter to the world. The world says, the reason you have your problems is you, you just don't love yourself enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you really need to come to love yourself. And then all this will get fixed. And God's saying, No. You don't need to love yourself. You do need to come to love who you are in Christ. And really begin to embrace who you are in Him. You know, Christ talks about hating ourselves. basically. I despise what I am apart from Christ. But man, I'm so thankful for who I am and what I have in Christ. And I've shared before, I used to spend so much of my prayer time in the morning praying about basically changing this. Lord, help me conquer this. Help me conquer that. Help me not to have this sin today or that sin. I don't focus on my sin in my prayer life in the morning anymore. I thank the Lord for the fact that I am a new creation. I thank the Lord that, you know, I am a citizen of heaven, that this world is not my home anymore. I'm just passing through. My prayer is, Lord, I want to look like a child of the Most High God because that's who I am. I want my citizenship to show and for people to see that I'm a citizen of the heavenly realm. See, my prayer is more in the realm of of this being developed in me, this new life being developed in me, rather than somehow trying to fix the old. Yeah, John did you? Uh, just the whole fact too. Uh, it's so true that if we also if we uh, focus on self and the old man and we're trying to fix it, that's where that whole thing is. We're all saying, "How is his joke as easy as burden Is like what? Because we're burned down by. It. Yeah. and when we stay over there we're like a bunch of you know Eeyores, Christian Eeyores, where we're just like my life is so hard and I can't do it you know what I mean and it just wears us down but when we live as who we are in Christ he yeah. takes our heaviness and it becomes yeah. 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 because it's all his yeah. and we're his and it's just an incredible, difficult way of you yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, if you're burdened down by the Christian life, you probably done picked up something you ain't supposed to carry. Uh, <laughs> or you're doing it through your own strength. Because, you know, when we're yoked together with Christ, he does indeed bear the bulk of the burden. And he carries us forward. It's not that the Christian life doesn't have challenges and, and discouragements and things along the way. But when our eyes are on Christ, the burden does not become overwhelming. So he says, a disciple is one who is free from the old and free to the new. And he says, you know, in other scriptural words, dead unto sin but alive unto God. Romans Romans 6.11 And for this, the Lord Jesus states that we must take up his cross. Here is the ultimatum. So now to the how. But he starts out, he says, how not to take up one's cross. And he says, Christians need to understand that bearing the cross does not in the first place refer to the trials we call crosses. But to the daily giving up of life, of dying to self, which must mark us as much as it did the Lord Jesus. And he said, which we need in times of prosperity almost more than, in, than adversity. And without which the fullness of the blessing of the cross cannot be disclosed to us. And so he says, may we cease to confuse the words a cross with the cross. Sometimes believers in self-pity bemoan themselves and say, I have taken or must take up my cross and follow Jesus. says, would that we would lose sight of our cross in his cross. Then his cross becomes our cross. His death, our death. His grave, our grave. His resurrection, our resurrection. His risen life, our newness of life. It says no taking up our cross does not mean stoical bearing of some heavy burden, hardship, illness, distasteful situation or relationship. Enduring anything of this nature is not bearing one's cross. Taking up the cross may or may not involve such things, but such things do not constitute a cross. The believer's cross is the cross of Calvary. The cross on which he was crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. There the eternal emancipation proclamation was signed with the blood of the Lamb and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, every believer is thereby freed from all bondage. Note that, every believer. But he says, every believer is not aware of this liberating truth. Every believer has been set free from their bondage to the old. But a lot of believers don't know it. And so they continue to serve the old. And I, I've pointed out one of the ways you can see that is time and time again when believers give their testimony, what do they say? I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. When you make that statement, you have just denied the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. But they'll say, well, I'm a saved sinner. You're still denying the fact that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes, you still have that old operating system, you still have that nature that is bent towards sin. And if you let it, it will rule your life. But you don't have to. But you don't overpower it by your strength. You live free from it by embracing the cross for what it is. So he says... You know, every believer is not aware of this liberating truth. So he says, sad to say, the only believers who are interested in freedom are those who have come to the place of hating instead of hugging their chains. I think that's a pretty significant quote. Because a lot of believers are still hugging their chains. And so they never experience freedom. I think of. In in C.S. Lewis's book. The Great Divorce. There's this guy in there that's got this. Kind of ugly lizard on his. Shoulder. Causing him problems all the time. And. This angel keeps asking him to, you know, let him do something about that lizard. And and the guy, for quite a while, refuses because, you know, that lizard's just always been there. That's part of him. But finally, he comes to a place and he grants this angel permission to deal with that lizard. And he wrings the lizard's neck and throws it to the ground and as it quivers and dies it suddenly begins to change into this beautiful white stallion which the guy gets on and rides off to the the castle of the king and I think you know there's these things we just hold on to because it's us that's the problem it's our old us and we want to hang on to these things You know, it might be, you know, bitterness or, or, you know, anger or something that, you know, I have every right to feel this way and, and we cling to it. We've got to hate those chains. And then, and only then, are we willing to embrace the cross for what it is. It's a place of freedom, but it's also a place of, of death. A place of judgment. And this next statement, I think, explains a lot. Why so many don't embrace it. And I'll probably have to stop at this place. We'll finish up next week and maybe get into the following chapter. We'll see. But he says, it is true that the intellect is stumbled by the cross. So, what does he mean? He says, "You know, we we do struggle in our mind with this idea of how it was possible for me to, how it's possible for me to be crucified with Christ, and and you know how it's possible uh, uh, to consider myself dead to the old and alive to the new." So he says, "You know, yeah, the intellect does struggle with this some." But he says, and I think this is right on the mark. He says, yet the antagonism to the cross is mainly moral. Both in the sinner and in the saint. For its message is only welcomed by those who desire freedom from the bondage of their sins and hunger and thirst. After the experiential righteousness of God. He says it's moral both for the sinner and for the saint. What is it that keeps so many of the lost from embracing salvation? It's the cross. They do not want to acknowledge that they are so sinful and so condemned by sin... That somebody would actually have to be crucified to pay their sin debt. You can give them a long list of things to do and they'll embrace that. But tell them that you have got to by faith accept that Christ shed his blood for you and that is morally repulsive and he says it's equally morally repulsive to the believer to have to accept that I have nothing in me that is capable of of truly following Christ nothing in that old life and that my only hope Of really experiencing freedom. Is not God somehow. Helping me patch up the old. But that it must be left at the cross. That the best I have. As Rick Barth. Is only worthy of crucifixion. But what I have in Christ. Is entirely different. Again. You know, we, you know, in church, you can give Christians a long list of things to do. And they will do their best to do it. But you tell them God has nothing you have to offer that he wants. He just wants you to embrace what he has to offer. And they won't want to do that. You've heard me say it a number of times. I'll say it one more. You know, we hear all the time in Christian circles, God wants you to give your life to Him. He say, no, He doesn't. Your life stinks. He wants you to embrace His life. He wants you to give yourself to Him, your identity, your person to Him. He doesn't want you to give that life to him that's leave that at the cross and embrace this new life that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ he will change everything it won't be in an instant he won't snap his fingers and everything will change Be little by little, he'll take you through all sorts of circumstances that will push you more and more to him, that will show you areas of the old that you're still clinging to and that you have to leave at the cross. But he will transform you. So that's a decent place to... uh, Stop. Uh, I'll just throw this one last statement and then we'll stop here and, and pick up there. The divine way of via the cross for spiritual emancipation is just as offensive to the child of God as the divine way of salvation is to the lost. And that's why so many miss out on it. Scripture speaks of the offense of the cross. It's offensive to the unbeliever but it's offensive to the believer too. But we have to accept that offense. If we're to embrace what it offers to us. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the cross. Lord, I know its message can be offensive. We so want to think that you saved us from the guilt of, and penalty of sin, but Lord, we have something that that uh, to offer you. you have, we have something that you need. When Lord, you're trying to tell us no. But that you have something we need. A whole new operating system. A whole new life which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we've met him as our Savior. May we truly come to meet him as our life. First, in his precious name we pray. Amen.